<laughs> Welcome to another episode of The Worthy Physician. I'm your host, Dr. Sapna Shah Hawk, reigniting your humanity and passion for medicine. And today I have an awesome guest, Sarah Worthy, who is here to tell us about her thought process and really some of the pressure coming out of the pandemic. Is that right? Yes. And of course, not just coming out of the pandemic, as I think of it, is the straw that broke the camel's back, really. And thank you so much for having me here today. As I was telling you a little bit before we started our conversation, I'm a huge fan. I've been listening to you. I, I ran across your podcast at some point during the pandemic when things became more localized to my home office. And what you're doing is so necessary. It's so important. Our mental health, our sense of self-worth are really crucial to this conversation of solving the problems that we see in healthcare with our talented clinicians leaving in droves. No, thank you for that. And I couldn't agree more. The, the pandemic is what broke the camel's, the straw that broke the camel's back. Unfortunately, we're seeing physicians leave practice. We're seeing physicians retire early. And we're also seeing nurses leaving bedside and other clinical practitioners leaving bedside medicine. And it's just horrifying. I don't know what that will mean for the future. Oh, if things don't turn around quickly, I think we do know exactly what that is. We just don't want to admit it, right? It means that our healthcare system will collapse. Already, we're seeing the data coming in from the last year that's technically the post-pandemic year when things are supposed to be returning to normal. But preventable medical errors, when these are errors that are generally caused because of a physician or nurse being tired or missing the right training or not having the right team around them for that patient case, there there are things that are systemic and, and related to the environment that we place physicians and nurses to work inside of. It has nothing to do with their own competencies and abilities. Now, thank you for pointing that out because the way that we are trained, like in medical school, the physiology, the pathophysiology, we can, we nail that down, but we're not taught how to navigate a system that really doesn't give a care about anybody except for the bottom line. So it's a systemic thing. And so it's challenging to deal with systemic-based problems because they are not simple and they are not linear. And there is no one root cause we can point to fix and it will all be done. Once you have a systemic-based challenge like this, you have typically many roots that you have to tackle simultaneously if you want to see any change. And that's why it's been so hard for us to get out of this vicious cycle that we are, we're caught inside. That again, it began before the pandemic. We were already seeing large numbers of doctors and nurses retiring early, leaving, um, especially in my space in the tech startup world. I, I've I run into doctors and nurses all the time. In fact, a couple of the companies that we did early pilots with at, at my startup, DoorSpace, the founders and owners of these businesses have gone on to start their own tech companies and leave the healthcare industry. And I, I like to take a little credit for influencing them and inspiring them a little bit. But it just, it just doesn't surprise. It's horrible. Even as an executive right now, it's horrible to work in healthcare because as you said, it's become very financially focused and more importantly, profit focused. Right. And I think one of the things that I've heard on your show, what I hear from doctors all the time. And so I, is it, physicians don't feel they've gotten enough business training. And I 
I don't necessarily disagree. I think more education to learn about a subject is always good. But I do question if more of the same profit-driven business training is going to help or hurt the problem. I think maybe we need a better understanding of what profits really mean. One of the things I hear people who are outside of the business world talk about profits is somehow, for example, oh, they can't, the company can't pay me more even though it's making a profit, that somehow they think the profits are what pay for the salary. And so if a company, but but if a company is making a profit, it absolutely can afford to pay its employees more because profits are after expenses have all been covered. It's what's left over. In healthcare, what is happening with that leftover profit right now is instead of it being distributed into the salaries of all of the employees, right? Because we're seeing physician nurse salaries clearly stagnate and in many cases go backwards. And, and also in investing in the, the organization itself and the tools that it needs and, and upgrading things. And especially some of the smaller hospitals, when they take profits and direct them to shareholders or to real estate, instead of to investments back into making the system and, and the talent better and more supported, then we end up with a toxic system that we're in today. So I, 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 I don't know if physicians need more MBAs. I just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think necessarily MBAs. I did mine before med school. Just it was something to do while I was applying. But I think you make a good point. You make an excellent point of understanding finances and also understanding how the real world works. But I think one thing that the business model has left out and... I say this over and over again, is we're not operating with a conscience. Yeah, it's it, the numbers remove any of the emotion from it. And I think it's by design. I really do. People, I have a more progressive view, I think, of how healthcare should be managed than a number of other people. So there's going to be some disagreements. And I'm, but I'm honest, I, I think some of the ideas that I and others in this space have that are new ideas, we know that they're untested, they're unproven. And people will use that. Oh, we don't know if it will work, so we shouldn't try it. And also, except we know that what we're doing now doesn't work. So are we just going to continue doing what we know doesn't work? Or are we going to try something else that we don't know? And I think in, in healthcare, it's really difficult because as a physician, you're training in, and it has to be this way for patients' well-being, your training is not to take huge unknown risk to do no harm. If you don't know if you'll do more harm by trying that risky thing, it's often better not to for the patient's well-being. But when you're not talking about patient health care, I think those that same training gets in the way. And I think that's one of the things physicians can be evaluating. But, it, but again, it makes me really upset that a lot of this ends up being put on physicians and on nurses. Um, physicians and nurses have to take a stance and, and a lot of them are. The unions, the strikes, those are really important. But what I think healthcare leaders, and in a lot of times, CNOs, CMOs, y'all are straddling both that executive administrative role as well as the clinical role. And I think what we're really missing more than business training is, is really leadership training. Healthcare in 10 years has, looks completely different than 10 years ago. Less than I think less than 50% of physicians 10 years ago were employed by a hospital. They worked in small private practices, usually for themselves or for another physician. And in 10 years, more than 75% of employees are now employed in a large hospital system. 
And managing a workforce of doctors and nurses when there's 10 of you versus a thousand of you looks very different. And what I have not seen anywhere are investments in and experiments in and, and research and understanding how do we train CMOs, CNOs, CEOs of healthcare to care for their people. We're, we're really not seeing a lot of that. There are a few people out there, Ann Richardson, somebody I'll call out on that, that does a lot to try to talk about healthcare with heart and how to do this. But the vast majority of what we provide these healthcare leaders with for trading, it is, it's the MBA, it's the financials. We view leadership as you understand how to balance the, the budget and how to maximize shareholder profits, which that's not really leadership, but that's what we call leadership today in healthcare. Truer words have never been spoken. And we forget that we're working with people to manage the health of people. And yeah, that's the crux of medicine where we're at. But can you tell us more about your startup, DoorSpace? Yeah, Yeah. DoorSpace is not the, the most novel idea in some ways. It's looking at, so EHRs track a lot of different patient related data and the financial related data to that. But a lot of Anything that doesn't directly touch on the patient journey in healthcare, all that back office work, credentialing, keeping up with your malpractice insurance, renewals, background checks, peer references, getting all of that information in triplicate to organizations, matching, scheduling, scheduling for patients. A lot of those things are still very manual. They're not being digitalized and they're not being measured. Most organizations, if I asked how much time is your physician spending every year just to find and schedule their required CME? And what CME is that physician learning? And how are you supporting that learning to align with what their work outcomes are, the types of patients they're seeing? All of those questions, healthcare organizations are saying, we're not doing any of that. They, they aren't measuring it. The reports that talk about the 27-hour day that physicians are spending don't even include, not, they don't just not include sleeping and eating and all of these wellness things that are being touted, but they don't include the time that physicians are spending preparing and managing all of this information in order to be able to go and walk into that patient room and treat that patient. So there's countless hours. And that's really where DoorSpace is focused. A lot of this, we still have questions we have to answer across the industry, and we're looking into that. But I see that there's a lot of opportunity to start digitalizing and automating the back office of healthcare, getting rid of all of that non-patient related paperwork that is taking up an average of eight to nine hours of of time for physicians every week. And that's really the best low-hanging fruit that people can be doing. And then giving leaders real-time access to know their clinicians. An organization today might have 12 to 15 different copies across their different systems of what that position looks like. The recruiting system says something, the HR system, the talent system, your scheduling system, they all have disparate data that often conflicts with each other. And there's a time period for that. And so we're really thinking about how can we centralize all this data? How can we give that control and ownership of that data to that clinician? And then how do we give leaders access to see one single picture of who each of their employees is? This will enable them to use tools to personalize the employee experience for their clinicians, 
It'll equip managers with real-time information across. If you're a CNO and you have a thousand nurses that you have to track this for, you can't manually keep up with this. And our solution will show them instantly, here's skills gaps, here's differences. We can integrate with patient outcomes. And and what I really want to see change, and this is going to be hard. I think a lot of, I've talked to a lot of physicians, especially about this and nurses, but physicians in particular, and I don't blame them, are very jaded about their CME requirements and their training and development at work. Even though it's one of the top three cited reasons for leaving, they cite, I wasn't being supported in my professional development at work. That's one of the top three reasons why doctors and nurses leave. They don't really believe that that CME has any impact. It's just a waste of time for them. And what I really want to do is start using this and over long term, automate it, get it out of the way, and then start helping provide the data evidence to show what types of trading, what types of credentials improve clinical outcomes, and which ones are a waste of time. Because right now, depending on what state you are in, the law says you're a talented doctor or nurse with different types of educational requirements. And so it's all subjective. And I, I really want to remove that because it's wasting everyone's time. So you're talking about automating a lot of these things that and give a clearer picture. And not only that, but weeding out things that are more of the um, administrative burden that physicians and nurses that we squawk about. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I read a study somewhere and I don't think doctors and nurses realize just how out of sync, uh, away from the norms, healthcare is compared to other industries. So the study said that there's an average of something like eight or nine administrators in healthcare for every physician. I cannot think of a single other industry where you have more managers than specialists, right? Education, we have way more teachers and superintendents right? In technology, way more software engineers, designers, creatives than we have the C-suite. It's crazy to me that you have all of these people and, and what they're doing, that most of these, these administrators are just data pushers. They're moving data from one place to another because there isn't an automated system for that. And that takes up money and resources. When a hospital says they can't meet nurse to patient staffing ratios because they can't afford to hire more people, if we could get half of those administrators to become nurses instead, and not necessarily directly, but if that money can be shifted, then we have that. I hate to, I know nobody wants to think about their jobs going away, but I, when we're having, con, we're having legitimate, serious conversations, and I don't know why, I don't know why these are legitimate, but we're having legitimate conversations out there. And, and we see this all over. Let's replace doctors and nurses with AI because we can't afford or find doctors and nurses. But meanwhile, we have eight to nine administrators for every physician. It just, it makes no sense from my perspective outside of healthcare. And I think physicians and nurses, they have a lot more power than they realize. They've been trained to follow this, but you could be untrained. You do have to do a little untraining yourself. And I think, again, that's why your show is so valuable because it starts with the mindset. It does. And it starts with a sense of self-worth. I love how you talk about self-worth on here. It's so crucial because I do hear it a lot, especially physicians. Y'all are so trained to think about your patient's well-being above and beyond your own. And it reminds me of, so I was lifeguard, a lifeguard in, in high school. 
and went through some of the very basic certifications with first aid, CPR, and so forth that, that clinicians all have to go through. And I just remember in the, one of the training classes, they were very clear about you do not go into an emergency situation if you are putting yourself at risk. If the water in the pool that someone is drowning in has a, a line down and it's electrocuted, you going in will not save that person. You're just going to kill another person. And I, I think of that every time I think about what physicians and nurses are doing when they put the patients first instead of themselves in the current environment. Doctors and nurses are walking into a burning down, exploding building effectively without the right protective gear and without a warning every time they walk into work today. And that, that sounds extreme, but that's all the data shows that's effectively what's happening. Y'all are walking into a work zone, a war zone to see patients. And most of that can be fixed through better leadership and management. But physicians and nurses, and this is why y'all are leaving. As much as I hate watching the healthcare system decline, as afraid as I am as a patient and a mother, I tell everyone, the last thing you want right now is to have to go to a hospital. It is not safe. It is not, it is not a safe place. And that's terrible. But we need doctors and nurses to quit, to continue to quit until it gets so bad. Because I don't think leaders are going to be motivated to change until it gets so bad that they have to, to shut down and that profit stops. I hate I think, to say that. I hate to no, say that. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think this is respiratory season and we're already seeing the delay of care from last year. I think it's going to be worse this year. Time will tell. But with the lack of staffing, that impedes the ability to treatment in a timely fashion. And you're absolutely right. I think one of the reasons why I talk about self-worth and all that comes with it is because we're not just um, our job title, not just a physician, not just a nurse. We're human beings that are critically thinking individuals, and we're very creative. And if we can refill our cup and we can truly dig into who we truly are, we can come up with solutions. And a lot of that is going to be, I'm navigating working as a physician much differently than 10 years ago when I was fresh out of residency. A lot of it is a learning curve. But no, I couldn't agree with you more that we have to step up and we have to start speaking up, speaking out. And we can be diplomatic and in the same way, create that change that we want to see. Even if it's on a micro level, that's a great place to start because when that change comes from the correct intention and the right place, that has a ripple effect. And that ripple effect can be huge. It may not be overnight, six months, 12 months, 18 months. That you can definitely see a positive change again if we lead with good intention. That is one thing that I have not seen in many people in leadership. I can say that where I work, we have excellent leadership, and that's been one of the strong points. But at the same time, that's not the truth any, everywhere. And I think things will get worse before they get better. But I also think that in the tech space, I'm really appreciative of the innovation and for solutions like door space, because this is where... We have to embrace change and automate some things, and it's okay 
to incorporate AI into the processes if it makes it more efficient and better for not only the patient, but also the workers. Yeah. And, and AI is a fantastic tool. People follow me on LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm a pragmatist, but I love AI. And there are a lot of reasons why AI is fantastic right now. But that's another thing I'd, I'd say to anyone in healthcare right now, stop thinking about innovation at the bedside for a minute, just for a minute, because that's part of why we have this problem. The pandemic, again, it, people talk about the pandemic as though it, the reason doctors and nurses quit is because watching patients suffer and deal with problems is so horrible. And it is horrible and all that. But that's not what the pandemic did that caused this acceleration. What the pandemic proved to doctors and nurses is that their leaders really don't care about them and don't know how to care and support them. It wasn't about the fact that there was a sudden crisis. We have trained clinicians who go in a war environments. We have doctors without borders. We, we Clinicians are trained to deal with emergency triage situations. And it is traumatic. From, I don't want to deny it. It is definitely a huge burden emotionally, mentally, and, and physically for clinicians to be in these types of environments like a pandemic creates. But when your leaders, the people who are there, who are supposed to be the ones you look to for help, for support, for guidance, when they're saying, no, profits are more important than PPE gear, profits are more important than your lives, I don't know how anyone could trust and stay in that environment and be mentally healthy. I don't see how that's possible. And I think that's really what we need to look at is it, it, we need to be looking at the right root causes and tackling them because preventing another pandemic isn't going to change the toxic culture that is being cultivated inside healthcare organizations. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And, and what I want physicians to think about in particular, again, going back to that, stop thinking about the patient for a minute. Uh, one of the, there's studies on this, that when people are faced with solving a problem, nine times out of 10, even if there is a better solution by removing something in that mix, people tend to look at ways to add something to solve the problem. And in healthcare and patient innovation, that's why I see, oh, let patients have a certain condition. Let's create another device. Let's create another device. There's something like 200 or more medical devices approved by the FDA every year in the U.S. and hundreds more drug trial, drug treatments and, and things like that are, that are approved. And if you think about a single physician is supposed to learn hundreds of these new innovations in order to take care of their patients, that alone is overwhelming and impossible to expect every year. Yeah. And meanwhile, nothing is being done. So where AI really is a great place, and I would encourage I would encourage everyone in healthcare, ignore the conversations about AI replacing clinicians right now. Just ignore them. Look at what is out there to use AI to improve and eliminate a lot of these menial tasks. I was just speaking at a conference in Boston, and one of the physicians there was talking about how they're using AI to help them transcribe their notes. So they're basically talking during their patient exams, instead of having to look at a keyboard, all of that's being recorded. It goes into an AI that has been trained to summarize what's being said in those notes, and then the physician reviews it. And that cuts down on their paperwork time by at least 30 minutes or an hour per patient. That's an incredible amount of time. 
And the AI didn't have to do any diagnosis in this. The AI is just acting as one of those eight to nine administrative roles that's following these doctors around. Yeah, it's these are great tools. And going back to the 27-hour workday, this is a way to delegate to something else that was pretty cost-effective as well. Yeah, and, and can decrease that administrative burden that uh, even though notes are the backbone of how we bill, it's something that we can delegate to a non-human. Absolutely. And you don't have to worry about things like hallucinations and fiction <laughs> when you use AI in that capacity. A lot of people are concerned about that. I was like, you're asking AI to make something up that sounds good. I mean, that, that's the definition of something that's going to be partially fiction in a lot of situations. Right. Because we don't always want to hear bad things and stuff. And so a lot of marketing and advertising is going to benefit greatly from AI and the hallucinations. But medicine really needs to be looking at how can they take things out? How can we streamline this? Honestly, if I were to be able to wave a magic wand, I would also, I would d just delete everything we've done in the HR space and start over. I know that's a very costly suggestion, but I would encourage healthcare leaders out there to start thinking about and learning about the sunk cost fallacy. It's a logical fallacy. It's a common bias that human brains do, where when we start to invest a lot into something, we, even if that something is a terrible idea and in the long run is going to not fix the problems because we've invested in it, emotionally, we become attached to staying the course. And what we have done by having this failure of interoperability, this profit and greed centered idea around the way EHRs were designed, you can't fix that with software patches. Interoperability needs to be done from the ground up. And these EHR systems are going to continue to be in a very expensive waste of money until the correct architecture is built in and, and started. And I, so I do think that has to start a lot differently. And it has to start, again, with the idea of portability of patient data. I talked to physicians here, and I'm here in Houston with the Texas Medical Center, and I talk to physicians who not only have to fill out their own personal credential information three or four times per the four hospitals they're privileged at, meaning they're doing this 15, 16 times. But when they see a patient at one of the hospitals they're privileged at on a Tuesday, and then the next week on a Thursday, they're seeing that same patient at a different hospital, They it, it takes them several hours to go to the IT teams behind these hospital EHRs and extract that. And to compile that at home on a laptop on their own in a spreadsheet just to get their patient's information into one place. And, and so before you thank people in my industry, I'm mad at a lot of the people in the health tech industry. I think we've done healthcare a huge disservice. I really think we have. And I just, I think we should all be mindful that physicians are right to be skeptical of some of these technologies. Because though we can bring a great deal of value using them correctly, they need to be there to solve the problems that patients and clinicians have, not the problems the CFO or a shareholder has. Thank you so much for that insight. And if the listener wanted to reach you, what is the best way and what is your website? Our website is doorspaceinc.com. I don't necessarily recommend anyone go there. You can find our app. If you're a clinician, one of our we really want to give everyone value. So we do have an app on the App Store that's free for clinicians. We don't sell their data. Everything is encrypted. I look at this as a, a bank account that is yours for your professional data. 
and we make it just as easy to put things in as we do to take out. You can email everything to your employers from our app and so forth. That's you just search door space app on your uh, app store and you can find me there. Um, the best way to find me to talk to me is connect with me on LinkedIn and say, hey, um, I, I'm very active there. I'm not active on the other social media sites, um, uh, but on, on LinkedIn, I find it's very helpful for for meeting new people in, in the healthcare administrative side. So I think they can go there and find me. And I'd love to talk to anybody about this. I love to hear more insights. And doctors and nurses, like I came from a non-health, I, you know, I come from you know 20 years of enterprise technology and, and I've worked on the front side in health tech before, but it's been tech, it's not so much health. And I will say a lot of times I think doctors and nurses assume that patients know what is going on. And I know you had once in an episode talking about how when you communicated to your patients about your schedule change, how much more supportive they were. I, I just want to reiterate um, what I have learned specifically working on this problem in the last few years um, is mind-blowing. And I constantly am telling my friends outside of healthcare about it, and they are mind-blown. They don't know. Um, physicians, feel free to educate your patients. We want to know about your lives and your struggles. Uh, we're voters, right? We have a, a chance, of, and we're the ones who determine insurance. So we, like, we have a voice in this and can be your allies and want to be, but we just don't know. The, the propaganda that the average um, consumer gets is, is driven from health insurance companies and politicians, and it's very biased and very one-sided. Sarah, thank you so much for that, and thank you for your time, and uh, all these links will be in the show notes. So just again, thank, thank you, you for your support and your words of wisdom. Thank you. No, thank you. And I, every single person who is listening to you is in healthcare. Y'all are doing yourselves a huge favor. Really, that reinforcement of our own self-worth, our own mental well-being, that has to come first for this change to succeed. Every clinician out there, you have to put yourselves first. You can't put your patients first. You can't walk into a burning building and save other people if that building's going to collapse on you and kill you. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank everyone of you out there who has not quit medicine. Thank you so much for still going at it, still believing. We, we can fix this and we will. It will change, but it's going to take all of us moving the needle. So if you have found this helpful, share with a friend because we could all use camaraderie.